crazy enough to listen to this podcast. My name is Josh Withers, and on the other end of this conference call is Sarah Ed. Hello, Sarah. Hello, everybody, and Josh. It's nice to meet you. I'm Josh. I'm I'm not included in everybody. I'm straight off to the side. (laughs) You are listening to the Celebrant Talk Show, uh, provided by the Celebrant Institute, and this is just a uh, irregular conversation between two celebrants talking about celebrants for the love of celebrancy directly aimed at a market that we would identify as celebrants. Sarah, how are you doing? Do, do, do you think you could say celebrant any more times in a single no, sentence? I, I figure if I keep on saying it, though, I'll end up saying celibate. <laughs> <laughs> yep, let's avoid that too. Hey, how many, like, do you get that joke regularly? Is that just, is, is that something people are like comfortable enough to tell a man that joke? Or do you, have you ever had a celibate joke as a celebrant? I have definitely had a celibate joke. Uh, yeah, I have good. also had a sodomized joke. Um, oh, good, good. That one mostly comes from other celebrants. For anyone who doesn't understand what that means, we have to say the word solemnize in the legal wording in a, in a ceremony, and some people get confused. You know, we could um, we could spend a whole podcast talking about whether we have to say the word solemnize. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't. We won't. We all know your word, your feelings about words to that effect. <laughs> I'd love to comment on, uh, I think, did I drop a little like 60 second video of yep. how to say the monotone with warmth and, and someone freaked out about it. And, yep. and I, I know everyone takes different liberties with the law, but, but the law, well, the guidelines, um, say, uh, and the law says, it works oh, the law respect. says, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I take a little bit of liberty with that. Yeah. It's okay. Well, well. Sarah, it's a uh, ever increasingly exciting time in marriage celebrants. We know because the marriage celebrant and law section of the Attorney General's office issued their um, their newsletter, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited to talk about the, the the overwhelming amount of news that would be covered in a newsletter. Um, <laughs> there are, there, of course, there's letters in there as well, but not to be not to be <laughs> malnourished by the news. <laughs> oh dear. But uh, before we talk about that, and, and also uh, we want to kind of cover a bit of uh, electronic stuff because that's, that's something that keeps on happening, um, uh, keeps on coming up in conversation. But I just want to do a bit of a check-in and see how you're doing. How's, how's the Eddie? Where to start? Um, it's about, it's Christmas in one month today. Now that I've just oh, looked wow. at the calendar. It yeah, is that's, too. that's wrong. So the, um, the Christmas party round is about to start as... Uh, long-term listeners to this podcast and also followers me on the socials will know I am the Christmas party queen or whore, whichever you prefer. Uh, Last year, I think I only made it to five, but the year before that I made it to 11 wedding and funeral industry Christmas parties. Uh, I think that I'm assisted in this by the fact that I don't drink. Yeah, so, they're like, invite her. She's a cheaping. Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm cheap, <laughs> but also like I can back it up and go to the next one again the next day because yeah, true. I'm not hungover. So currently the week after next, I have four in the diary in that one week, which is looking exciting. And that's, that's about it so far. But look, who knows? Things will change. You you really do you, you you leave the office and you get to things. Hey, you, you, I'd go, I'd go I'd and actually, do things. Yeah, I've actually heard that you'll go to the opening of a wound. That's pretty, how keen pretty you much. Are. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I always talk about network, network, network. It's really important. Uh, it's important for 
not being alone and isolated in this one man business that we do. It's important for uh, referrals for people to share work together. It's just, it's just important. So yeah, get out there and get amongst it and see all the people. Uh, so that's really, I had two weddings on Saturday. They were good. I've got a, big one on Thursday this week, which I'm adoring. Let's have more four o'clock on Thursday weddings. Oh, amen. Amen, sister. Yeah, I, man. I've, I've got a Thursday afternoon uh, ceremony this week, this week as well. It's a beauty. Love it. So good. Let's have more of that. Uh, and then I've got my niece's ballet concert on Saturday. No, get the iPhone ready. Oh, she's four. It's her first year at ballet classes. That's cute. It probably will be cute. It, it, I will get the experience of that my family always had coming to my ballet concerts when I was a child and how joyous or not that experience was and is. Anyway, that, it should um, be cute. How's that ballet spirit going today? Is that carried through? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love I, – I go to the ballet all the time. My – House is filled with pictures of beautiful ballerinas. I love it. Tilly, little Tilly, she's my little niece. Uh, we sometimes stand in first position and and do you know little ballet exercises. It's very cute. Yeah, it's beautiful. Good on you. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that kind of stuff with Luna. Like she's yeah. she's days away from walking. Uh, in my opinion, <gasps> so and, uh, cute. Yeah, also she's, dangerous. She's, she's so luck. keen. Like she's so frustrated that she can't walk, which, <laughs> which I, I see as being a big impetus to her walking because uh, like, you know how you and I get frustrated and we'll just be like pissed off and, you know, you know slam the door because we're so frustrated. She gets frustrated, but she takes it as a learning opportunity. It's like she's smarter than all of us. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, Fancy she gets frustrated that, right? and she, she tries to become better and it's kind of beautiful. Bless. That's very yeah. cute. Very cute. Um, but I think that we should stop boring people with our discussion of um, tiny no, humans. So people are here for Luna. That's only, the only reason they listen. Is well, that is a good Luna point. Updates. Yeah, that is a good point. I had to go and pick her up from cute. grandma's this morning, uh, which is why we're recording a little bit later because she, uh, she was fine at grandma's and she was going to stay two nights at grandma's this week, which, uh, which was a joy for um, for two other humans that identify as parents. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we did sleep and we slept until seven, but grandma's very sick. So I had to go pick Lou up. And and, uh, and on top of that, I have been kicked out of my office because there are um, working in the front yard and there's machinery and all that. So I thought I should apologize at some point towards the front of the podcast that if there's noise and everything that that's, that's why, because we are recording this in a cafe in Tweed well, Heads. You're recording in a cafe oh, well, in Tweed Heads. Yeah. I'm true. in my office like normal, but at least we're not going to have aeroplanes today. Yeah, that's true. We're going to have Although, different forms of noise. You know, there's a sign on the highway at Tweed Heads when you exit off and someone scrubbed off the tea, which is kind of cute. <laughs> it's, it's not untrue. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay. Right. Hey, uh, side note, um, cause you're talking about networking and I've been oh. meaning to write an episode, write an article about this or uh, do so, do something. I just haven't got there yet, but I thought it'd be a good chance to drop it into the podcast. Uh, cause obviously getting out and hitting the pavement is a great form of networking, like leaving a house, putting pants on like that's it's powerful and it's meaningful. Uh, but I, I've been thinking for a long time that there's, 
not necessarily a replacement version of networking, but an ancillary networking, which happens on social media, which I don't think a lot of people have tapped into. So here's, here's a bit of a free tip from, uh, from Josh. How good is it when people comment on your own posts? And sometimes it's just like an encouragement, like, hey, Sarah, nice ceremony today. I enjoyed what you're doing. Like they were there. Or it's someone that wasn't there, but they're just appreciating the work you do or the photo. Um, or it's just someone who's very deliberately thinking, I'm going to help Sarah boost up in the algorithm by commenting. And let me explain that. There's, uh, there's three levels of uh, organic boosting you can do to a post. The, uh, the lowest level is liking. The second, the, the second highest level is to share. So, you know, if you share a post on Facebook or on Instagram, you click the little share icon if you share it. Or if you leave a uh, one-line comment, that's the second level. But the highest level of engagement, the, the level that really tells Facebook and Instagram, this is a post that the rest of the world needs to see, is when there's more than one two-line or more comments. So a comment that actually has some meat in the sandwich and uh, I was just saying, like, I've been thinking about that in the terms of networking, that if I wanted to get Sarah Ed's attention, apart from the fact that I could call her up and record a podcast with her, uh, <laughs> another way would be to jump on social media and actually start uh, posting meaningful more than two line comments on her posts because it's a blessing to her. Like, you know, you would, you would be sad. You would start to see a whole lot more engagement on your posts, but also, uh, your my, my name would pop up in your notifications. Hopefully you would start feeling positive thoughts about me. I would just be a part of your uh, thought process. And if you were like, I need a Josh shaped person to do a thing, then I would be the first person on your mind because I've been commenting and I've been active on your posts and you know, commenting on blog posts on the YouTube, well, whatever it is, just getting involved and actually participating in the social part of social media. Because remember, social media used to be called, do you remember what it used to be called? No. Social networking. Oh, or the social point. network, yeah. 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 It was like, there was literally a movie called The Social Network. There was, yeah, true. Do you know, yeah. I, di- I didn't know that the length of comment made any difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, two lines or more, because that, that, that means something happened. Yeah, that means you actually thought about it, right? Yeah, yeah. You didn't just write, great, or cute, or something stupid. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Because yeah. also that distinguishes your comment from one from a bot. Because yeah. uh, I don't know if you get much of this on your social, but every now and then I'll have um, bots that are commenting. So that's an automatic ro- response or a robot where the person that's – the person whose name it comes from, from you know, if it just say you've got a bot, it comes from Sarah, but the content is indistinct and, like, it's positive, but – if you look at it, you're like, oh, they don't actually know what's happening. And, and this yeah. is most, this is um, most visible when you do a really heartbreaking story. You know, maybe, uh, maybe something terrible happened and you do, you do a post about it. And then this city jumps on and goes, love this post, XOXO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, well, clearly you're a bot, you stupid idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so two line comments. Yeah. Oh, now I've got to think of stuff to say. Well, it's hard that's, enough, that's the thing. It's like, hard it enough to think care. of stuff to say on my own posts, let alone on other people's posts. Oh, social media is just like, I, I just, I love it and I hate it. <sighs> so I'm going to throw another, just another tip your way because <laughs> I've got a friend who runs a retail store locally and she was saying, I find it hard to come up with captions. And so... 
I discreetly opened up uh, notes on my phone. And uh, I don't know if you know, but there's not only is there the voice recording function on your iPhone, but there's also the dictate. So if you click the little microphone on your keyboard, it'll start dictating using Siri. And it's pretty good. Like the Aussie accent sometimes screws it up. But generally, if you click dictate, you start talking. It picks up a pretty good version of what you said. Um, so I clicked that. She didn't know I'd click that. And I said, tell me about this product. We had a photo on the screen. And she told me this big story <laughs> that because she knows the product intimately because her yeah. store, uh, she's the little store in Crumbin. If you want to look her up online, she's got a beautiful store. And it's all very heavily curated, uh, heavily curated um, ethical gifts. And so she has... Uh, she has um, these, these uh, scrubbing brushes made in, uh, I forget which African country. And she has dolls made in Ethiopia by, by, by locals in the village there. And it's not some bullshit. I feel like you hear a lot of schemes like that. Like, ah, oh, it's actually bullshit. Like, she actually, she, she really goes above and beyond to have really beautifully ethical gifts. And, uh, and so she knows the story. And then, so I, 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 like, she finishes talking. I stop dictating. I say, well, there's a post for you. And she looks and she goes, what, just that? I'm like, yeah, just that. Just you talking about the thing you know. That's, that's the post. Yeah. It doesn't have to be some well-crafted piece of bullshit, like, you know, using buzzwords and, hey, guys, welcome back to my channel. I've already been asking. About, no, just be you. Just, just do you. That's what people want. Okay, that's fair. I'll yeah. accept that. Consider yourself still, total head. Still hurts my head so much. Yeah, I hear you. Hashtags hit my head too. Anyway, let's not. I don't want to talk about hashtags today, though. We have enough other things to talk about. <laughs> but you don't want to do a ten-hour podcast. <sighs> we'll talk about hashtags next time. Oh my god, I hate Bless. them. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the newsletter that came from the marriage law and celebrant section last oh, week. God, what a tantalising piece of electronic communication yeah it's i'm actually quite interested that they seem to have done away with the graphic design um for a little while there they were laying out their newsletters in like two columns and with a few images and they seem to have just gone no and now it's just (laughs) i reckon they've lost their version of microsoft microsoft publisher like it didn't make it over to a new install it's possible it is (laughs) possible so uh, there's a, you know, little bit about um, updates and templates and blah, blah, blah. Actually, there is something that I would like to mention about this. They've done a complete refresh of the uh, kind of marriage section on the Attorney General's website. And it's kind of, rather than now just clicking on a page that says resources and having a long list of fact sheets, it now is kind of separated into content areas. So there's like a con- there's a page about manager registration. Then it's got the fact sheets about using the portal to update your contact details and things like that. So it's, it's quite good. Um, and it's worth just going on. It does mean that if you've got any uh, links, bookmarks on your browser to stuff on the AG's website, they'll probably be broken now and you'll need to fix them. But uh, it's quite useful the way it's laid out now. So it is worth having a look at ag.gov.au forward slash marriage. So yeah, there's some stuff in here that might be useful for Queensland celebrants who are using the online marriage registration. Um, There's stuff about the new staff at the WA BDM. And then the stuff that we really want to talk about today is a reminder about the online environment stuff. Uh, And that's sort of on two pages. The rest of the fact sheet is, or newsletter is 
pretty boring. Um, anyway, electronic stuff. This is coming up quite a lot. So, and I know that we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I'm just going to talk about it again because there's a really nice summary in the newsletter. So uh, some of you will recall that a fact sheet on celebrant obligations in an online environment was released on the 22nd of June. Don't ask me why I know that date. Uh, and it basically applies the Electronic Transactions Act to the Marriage Act and means that we can do a whole lot of stuff electronically, which is pretty cool. Uh, things that we've had to do in hard copy before, we can now do electronically. So... There's a really nice, I think, very simple summary in the newsletter. So I just want to go through this. So what documents can an authorised celebrant receive electronically? The NOIM, supporting documents, passport, birth certificate, divorce or death certificates, and a Commonwealth stat deck. So that means that if you have a couple who are interstate or overseas and you send them off to overseas a notary public or the embassy or interstate a police officer or whatever to get their NOIM witnessed, they can scan that NOIM and email it to you and the emailed version becomes the original. They don't have to bring the original hard copy with them to the wedding. So this is really great because we know that couples forget to bring these things or they lose it or whatever. So now they don't have to. The, on, the one that you receive electronically becomes the original. You can print it out so that you write on the details about when you received it and, and you know, your number and signature and blah, 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 on page four. But other than that, that, that becomes the original. You're good to go. Supporting documents in terms of evidence of date and place of birth and evidence of uh, cessation of a previous marriage. So... You can either see a scan or a photo of an original of one of these documents. So if they, uh, basically they have to take a photo or a scan of the original, not of a certified copy, because the Electronic Transactions Act says that basically we're trying to produce anything that we could produce in hard copy electronically. So it means it's got to be the original. So for evidence of date and place of birth, they can take a photo of their passport or a scan of their passport, a photo or a scan of their birth certificate, and they can email or text that to you and you're good to go. Uh, for a stat deck for evidence of date and place of birth, if they don't have a passport or a uh, birth certificate, as long as it's been signed in hard copy, because the stat deck act says that, a stat deck must be signed in pen. As long as it's been signed in hard copy, again, they can take a photo or a scan of that original and send that to you and you're good to go. Now, a reminder with divorce certificates that they've only been issued electronically uh, since 2010. So they would just download the PDF of the court uh, portal and they can email that to you. Or if they have, like sometimes a solicitor will provide them with a certified copy of uh, the original electronic one. That's fine. They can send you a copy of that. That's easy. But for that, you want the photo of the, before 2010, if they got divorced before 2010, you want the photo or scan of the uh, original. And even though it doesn't say this in the newsletter, I have picked them up on this. They can also, it's the same with the death certificate. So you can take a photo or scan the original of a death certificate 
as proof of the end of a previous marriage. So those are the ones that you can, they can send you by email or text. Now, uh, okay, so the next bit is what can be signed electronically. So there's a bunch of documents there and we've talked quite a lot about signing documents electronically, so we're not gonna do that again. What can an authorized celebrant do via video conferencing? And that is that you can cite evidence of their identity. So that means they can hold their license or their passport up to the, uh, up to the camera. And as long as you can compare the photo on that with their face, and you can also read it well enough to compare the details on it to their birth certificate or passport, that's how you can satisfy yourself as to the identity. So you can't receive a copy of their driver's license by email if you've never met them before to satisfy yourself as to their identity because how do you know that's the same person? Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Because it's about confirming identity. It's not about... It's not about Receive, uh, seeing a driver's license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, it's, so it's not about uh, accruing documents, which no. I feel like, and, and look, I've been guilty of this. I feel like a lot of celebrants um, kind of view this process as like, ah, if I can just tick off all the, the checklists mm. and which, which is an easy place to fall into, but the, the, the guiding lights, you know, the North star is, are they who they say they are? Yeah, totally. However, there's been some confusion about, oh, we can see the birth certificate by video conferencing. No, we can't. The reason for that is this kind of esoteric requirement in the Electronic Transactions Act that anything that you cite electronically that is a document that needs to be produced is, it, it creates an artifact. So it creates an electronic copy of that of that document essentially. And when you cite it on video conferencing, that doesn't create an electronic copy of that document. So I saw this long description on a, uh, on a celebrant forum the other day with a person saying they can hold up their birth certificate and then make sure they turn it over and they show you the back because that's got their address on it and any changes and blah, blah, blah. No, A, we don't need to see the back. That's not required. B, <laughs> we can't see the birth certificate via video conferencing. Um, that, the reasons and et cetera for that are set out in the fact sheet that is available on the Attorney General's website, but you, can't, you can only cite evidence of identity via video conferencing. So please just try and remember that. Uh, and then, of course, record keeping. Uh, if you are receiving norms and so forth electronically and you're signing things electronically, you can just keep them electronically. Uh, you do still have to prepare two copies of the official certificate of marriage, one to go to BDM and one for us to keep, even though that means that if you're working in a state with an online registration system, you'll now have two hard copies. Yes, that is correct. That's the way it goes. It, to change that will require a change to the Marriage Act. If you feel strongly about that, you need to write to your local federal member and ask them to put forward an amendment to the Act. I've got a thought on that. Yeah. So uh, obviously we barely see this anymore because it's 2019 and there's just not a purpose for it. 
but you remember you'd get like um yeah, invoice books. So so you ran Sarah Ed Proprietary Limited, and you had um and you would write invoices and receipts for your company. Yep. And you would uh you would have the carbon copy. Yep. Um, you know, like it would, like each invoice would be invoice one thousand one, and yep. there'd be the like the white, the green, and yep, uh, blue or whatever. Uh, and so you could, you know, you'd sign on that or, you know, fill it out and sign and hand it over. And so it would be done in triplicate or, or duplicate. And, and those documents were counted as all being legal documents. Um, like they're all valid documents. And, uh, but there was only a single signing, a single pressing of the pen per se, but duplicates of that. I, I, I'd, and, and this actually goes into a conversation, the fact that we're, we're, going to, we're actually going to be talking to um, we've got a, a legal guy coming on to uh, the Seller Institute soon to actually talk more about in depth to, to specific legal issues like this. But I, I wonder how that carbon copy kind of thing translates to getting a PDF right-clicking on it and going duplicate. I don't think it does because it, it, the Marriage Act says that two copies of the marriage certificate must be prepared. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and like before the marriage. Okay. That's fair. So in that, cause that duplicate type idea, you'd only be preparing one copy and then you'd be photocopying it essentially. And yeah. I mean, not really, but, um, so I don't, I don't think that works. And I think that maybe we should not confuse people. <laughs> Well, no, I, 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 and I hope that everyone would, would get to know my character on here is that I, I, I like to be difficult. Um, be difficult and be known as a complete arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but just, just, to, just, I suppose you can call it pushing the boundaries. Yeah, of but course. Because, but, but when we know the boundaries, we know the boundaries. Whereas I feel a lot of people are like, ah, it's all a gray area. Like, well, no, it's, it's very, mm. very black and white. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just not many people push those boundaries so they don't know where they are. And uh, so that's why I offered that thought up. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think that suffices because of the whole two certificates must be prepared. And I think that if you were just doing it once and then pressing duplicate, I don't think that uh, would meet the being prepared test. So does being prepared mean, because okay, for example, in Queensland, uh, uh, enter onto BDM and I can download the um, Don Lim slash uh, official certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, duplicating the official certificate, is, is that a preparation? Because the, the two certificates differ in that one has the, you know, for official use only at the bottom. I think that's the only, that's no, the only difference. Oh, it does if you buy it from CanPrint, but not if you print it off. Um, well, in Victoria, if you print it off BDM, it doesn't have that. I'm quickly we, opening one up just now just to we see We literally, I... it, for BDM in Victoria, we literally print two copies of the same document. Uh, so, yeah, Queensland. Oh, no, that's not Queensland. That's uh, Celebrant Easy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, different again uh but yeah so well, the ones that are okay everything i click on i haven't actually got a bloody certificate here um, <laughs> so hey, section, section 50 of the marriage act says 
where an authorized celebrant solemnizes a marriage, the authorized celebrant shall prepare a certificate of marriage in accordance with the prescribed form for the purpose of issue to the party to the marriage. That's form 15 and prepare two official certificates of the marriage. So that's one for BDM, one for uh, the, uh, for the celebrant. Um, it says one of the official certificates shall be on the reverse side of the paper bearing the declarations and which is funny in, in a PDF world as well, which I know I've brought it before and you swore at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> what does the back of the PDF look like? Yes. Yes. It's fine. So I guess maybe it's in the same file. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's yes. Fine. God, I'm a asshole, aren't I? Well, but yes, we do. <laughs> this is, this whole issue about the two certificates, it's something that we get a lot of messages about. I get a lot of messages about it saying, Sarah, can you fix this? Uh, can you fix this? Can you, can you just make it go away, Sarah? Can you just can you, give, I me, know. give me a bell? Can you call ScoMo? People say to me all the time, I know that you're like that you talk to, you know, NLCS about things. And so can you just make them change that? Uh, no, I can't. <laughs> but also this is not something that I, like I have to kind of choose my battles and this is not something that I feel strongly about. I'm quite happy to continue doing two copies of the, uh, of the certificate. So it's not something that I'm about to lobby my local member about because I don't really care. Uh, the people who are really concerned about this, instead of like coming to us or complaining in Facebook groups about it, or the only thing to do is to write to your local federal member and ask them to uh, put forward an amendment to the Marriage Act. You know, I'm actually going to uh, I'm going to put some effort behind that because I am passionate about it. So I might okay, even um, I might even prepare some thoughts, put it into a blog post on the website, and well, if, if you we want to, maybe if it. you wanted to prepare a letter that people yeah. could copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That would be because awesome. because even like because because you're you're still a you're a red booker, aren't you? No. Oh, I thought you were still a red booker. Not since my first year. Do you mind? Oh, okay. Well, no, I made a wrong assumption of you. Yes, sorry. you did. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Uh, on, the, on, on the side note, uh, one of my original couples commented on Facebook last night. I couldn't remember if they were number two or three because uh, I know who number one is, like as in first saying that I'm married, et cetera. <laughs> not, it's not a rankings. <laughs> uh, and I went, I went into my office to find my red book and I think when I moved house, because when I moved house, the oldest, uh, the, the oldest. It was more the, than the, six years ago. Yeah, 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 the youngest, yeah, the youngest records in the book were like six years ago. Because I probably only did three or four or five um, ceremonies in the red book and then yeah. moved on to bigger and greater things. And, and, and so I think when I moved, I must have thrown it out. And I, I was a little bit sad. Because I, I know when I was moving, <laughs> I, I got pretty gung-ho about just trying to, you know, so I threw out everything I didn't need and I obviously made the decision about the Red Book. And uh, yeah, I, I, like, like Carol and Josh felt really bad at their past Josh. <laughs> a little I bit of history. It, it is a bit of history. I think my first 20 weddings are in my Red Book because it was my first year. And I think I bought my, or maybe 21 or 22, I think I bought my, my, my like registered folding 
folder, signing folder, uh, which I bought from CCN, Civil Celebrants Network, which is now called something else that I can't remember. Um, I bought that as kind of my, hey, this is my end of my first year, like, yay, present to myself. Nah, go you. But I still have my red book because I actually find it a quite useful teaching tool uh, because some people are going to like the red book. So I probably will always keep my red book to take along to Cert 4 classes. Even that's though nice. the certificate that's in my red book obviously is no longer valid, they like I can just go, this is what the red book looks like kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, that was a well tangent. Uh, solid tangent. Solid tangent. So, yeah, please read the uh, fact sheet and the quick reference guide about the online environment stuff. It's all, it's actually a really great comprehensive document so please have a look at it yes if you've got any questions please yell out but um yeah it's we can do a lot of stuff electronically now which is really cool uh do you want to um well i, I did a blog post about this and it's already it's covered in the newsletter so it's just it's worth just dedicating five seconds to it in the podcast just so i've said it uh, yep. but new south wales has got digital ids now so digital driver's licenses um they're being issued by an app uh, that's a thing we can see so if you're worried about it being on an iPhone and blah, 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 you know, um, it's Don't fine. Be. Don't yeah. be. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but a, a line in that paragraph in the newsletter, I thought uh, was encouraging just for people to hear because I, don't know, I feel like we celebrants, we sometimes, we sometimes kind of get all up in our head about you know, life and the universe and all that kind of thing. And uh, it was just an encouragement that, that you as a celebrant that ultimately being satisfied with the identity of the couple you're marrying is, is up to you. you. You have to be satisfied. And it's a reminder that, that you are a Commonwealth authorized marriage celebrant. Like the Commonwealth government has given you authority to do this job. Like it's, it's not, it's not like, you know, they've maybe given you the opportunity or like you're partially accredited or, you know, it's like, you're like, you are, you're the boss. And I just, I suppose, I just want to be able to get that in their spirit that, that even the BDM, like a lot of people, get all up in the comments and the Facebook groups like, Oh, the BDM, like, you know what? The BDM registers our marriages. Like they work for us. <laughs> they, 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 like, I, okay. That's how, yeah. The, like it's, I know it's a hard line approach, but, but I think it's better to have that in your head than the fearful, like, Oh my God, the BDM is going to steal my baby. <laughs> you know, the, the B, the BDM is a state authority that receives our paperwork and registers it. And, and like, yes, they're, if you've done it wrong, you know, they're within their rights to come back to you and to say, Hey, you've done it wrong. But, uh, well, and this, this occurred many times over the, the transition through the, to the new norms and also to viewing passports and just the transitions we've had over the years, often BDMs would come back to you and say, Oh, Hey, you've done it wrong. And it's really up to you as a celebrant to say, actually, no, you know what, dude, we can view a passport as a valid proof of birth, which was a big issue when that changeover happened. And, and any other issue that you as a celebrant, uh, you have to be satisfied that you've done your job well. And, and if you are satisfied to that, then, then don't be afraid to push back in the BDM and say, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to say. Look, bitch, I'm a celebrant. Maybe don't, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> And You're like, fucking I, with me. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, also, don't say that. Um, I think I'd I'd really like to to encourage all celebrants listening to this to stress less yeah, about yeah. about the perfection of their paperwork. 
Yes, it is important to get the paperwork right because they're legal documents, they need to be accurate. But if you sign on the line where you were meant to write your name and then you write your name on the line where you were meant to sign, BDM doesn't care. Just draw some little arrows, totally fine. BDM cares very little except about those things about which they care a lot. <laughs> and I feel like those things are an, are an ever-changing goalpost. So like even like literally right now, I've got an email from the Queensland BDM where uh, I, I, the couple made a mistake on the norm and then they told me about it and I didn't correct it. So we both made a mistake, you know, we're equally taking responsibility for the year of birth being wrong. Uh, right. So it, it was, he's born in 83. We recorded as 80, 85. And, uh, and so we um, obviously submitted it all. Uh, and I've had to come back to the BDM and say, hey, guys, I screwed up. And uh, they gave me a form to fill out, which I don't think a celebrant's supposed to fill out that form. There wasn't really an allowance for a celebrant to fill out that form, but I just kind of forced myself into the form and sent it back to them to, to say this was the problem. And, uh, and they accepted that, which was lovely and nice. Like, I didn't have to provide ID or anything like that. I just said, I am a celebrant. And they were happy with that. Um, uh, but they needed, like, she's like, all right, we can't do this until we get uh, their original marriage to bigger back. And so rather than a couple send it to me and me send it to them, I just thought I'll just get the couple to send it directly to them. And so she did that on Friday. And so I emailed, emailed on Friday saying, yep, and the certificate's in the mail. So she emails first thing this morning. She goes, all right, your new certificate's in the mail. I'm like, oh, well, it obviously wasn't that important because I'm pretty sure the mail has not got to you yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I appreciate your trust in our, in our process. So you just, yeah, don't stress so much. The BDM... They're all humans. They're just they're the humans that are also working for a government department. So, you know, don't, don't stress so much. Like as long as the document is legible and they can kind of understand what, what is required, it, you're good to go. I've literally had people at parties sign on the wrong side of the official certificate of marriage. Like the groom signed, signed on the bride's side and the bride's side. I just drew an arrow in between them and sent yeah. it off and the marriage was registered. Like, and I would argue that if you didn't do that, it probably still would have just got through because yeah. there's no, there's no signature database. Registry. Looking up. Well, except that they've got two other documents to look at. So they have the okay, Noim and the Donlim. So they can oh, yeah. compare. And, they and can you compare. know, they totally are. They've ever just gone through all of that with a fine tooth comb. <laughs> but the point is that uh, I think that sometimes we get a little bit caught up in this has to be perfectly accurate and perfectly perfect. It, like, honestly, just as long as they can understand what you mean, you're good to go. Don't worry. Also, a reminder that pretty much any detail that you write on the norm can be changed. So if you find a mistake or if uh, details change, like, for example, if the date that you write in the for celebrants use box on the top of page three if the date of the marriage changes, if the venue of the marriage changes, if the time changes, like you just change it. You don't have to do another norm. You just change it. It's, it's just a working document. These are working documents essentially. And they're, they don't have to be pretty. They don't, I, I am a control freak. I don't like other people's handwriting. So I do them myself. But apart from that, they like the details can be changed. Things can be altered. Things can be, uh, corrected when they need to be. So, yeah, I think just stress less. 
I think is something that I would say, like do your very best, make them accurate, but don't worry if there's a mistake, just correct it. It's really simple. Just on a side note, because uh, I'm a bit of a control freak over my forms as well. I, I like to generate the forms and send them to the couple, but one of my couples beat me to the punch. And they're like, all right, we've already filled out a norm. And, and I, I like, I start twitching. Yeah, me too. I hate that. I hate it. <laughs> and then I'm like, all right, just, just send me a photo to make sure it's done right before you, you know, before you scan it. And just cause I'm, and luckily they filled it out wrong, <laughs> but they send it through to me. I just see this handwritten noise. I start twitching even more. <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah. We're yeah. weird, weird breed of us people, aren't we? Actually, uh, okay. I've got, I've got another piece of advice about the noise. So I, it's very rare for me to not be witnessing signatures on a noise myself just because that's, that's how I prefer to work. I prefer for the couple to come and meet with me with their documents. I fill in the norm, they check it. We look at their documents and then they sign it and I witness it. Um, but occasionally, you know, that's not possible. They might be interstate or overseas, you know, whatever. So they need to get it, uh, get their signatures witnessed by someone else. Can I just give you some advice, everybody, don't just send them the name and say, get this witnessed by someone on the form because people don't read it that I can't, people are stupid. They're so stupid. So my biggest piece of advice is if you've got somebody in Australia, send them the completed form and say, print this off, take it to a police station and sign it with a police officer as your witness. Don't give them any choice. Just say, take this to a police station. It's pretty, like, unless they were in a really remote community, there's going to be a police station pretty close that they can get to. And that's just the easiest thing. Just tell them to go to a police station. If they're overseas, tell them to go to the closest Australian embassy and get it signed with an embassy official as their witness. Don't give them any choices because as soon as you start to give them choices, they get confused. Or as soon as you ask them to read the document themselves, they don't understand. So there's been quite a few instances recently. For example, I had somebody rang me and said that they had a name and it was witnessed by a registrar at the magistrate's court. Now a registrar at the magistrate's court is essentially an administrative clerk. Some of them are, are more than that, but a lot of them are just like they might be receptionists. They might sit at the front desk and like they might be signing affidavits and stuff, but that doesn't mean they can sign a norm. They're not a legal, uh, like a solicitor or a barrister generally. They have to be on the list beneath. They have to be on the list. They just have to be on that list. But but people are confused or they think, oh, well, they're on the stat deck list, so they must be able to sign the norm. No, that's not how it works. So don't, just don't give them choice. Just don't, don't leave it up to them to figure out because it's going to be way more work for you to have to undo that than to just say in the first place, this is what you need to do. Take it to a police station. I, I literally got annoying back this week and, and I am quite concise. Like I, I say, uh, cause I've got a template email, um, you know, take it to a GP or one of the, one of the qualified witnesses that are listed beneath the signature box. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just so they've got a choice, but I say JP and uh, it comes back with, um, uh, uh, what is it? Was it say title? No. Um, yeah. Qualification. Uh, 
qualification, that's the word, a qualification builder. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> mate, yeah. thanks, mate. Good work. I appreciate right. that. <laughs> and, you know, like in, uh, in Queensland and New South Wales, a, a, a lot of people do suggest JPs because it's way easier. Like JPs hang out in shopping centres in Queensland, don't they? Yeah, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, like it's, it's not quite that easy in Victoria. Like um, some post office people are JPs, but not all of them. And it's just a bit more difficult. So that's in Victoria, I tell people to go to a police station. In another state, you might tell them something else. But, you know, make sure they don't think that they can go to a pharmacist or, uh, or a physio or a builder. I've had one that had editor and accountant. And I went, no, editor? Editor, like what even? No, no, no. Also with that, that box on the Noem underneath the signature of the witness, it just says qualification, which means qualification to witness the signatures. It doesn't ask for a stamp or for a number or anything like that. So if they just write police officer, that's fine because that's all it asks for qualification to be the witness if they just write just the piece that's fine so you don't need to insist on there being anything uh fancier than like i don't stamp it when i witness it i just write celebrant because yeah, that is yeah. my qualification to witness the signatures yeah so, like it doesn't need the a number or anything no, like that absolutely. even even if you're not the celebrant marrying like if 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 it's a josh knowing that and sarah's witnessing it you don't have to put, you know, uh, Syria, no, civil marriage, celebrant, no. A, blah, blah, blah. You just, you, you just put celebrant and then, because it doesn't even need your name. It's just a no. signature. It's just because that's, that's what the form requires. Yeah. And, and if there's issue with the form, then the couple would be called upon to say, oh, hey, this, there's a signature in the word celebrant. Who witnessed it? Yeah. yeah like if the form is being drawn into question by a court or something yeah. like that, you know, that, that would be forced to then, um, uh, extrapolate that information and bring it to the court, but uh, but there's actually quite a lot of trust there that, that we and the couple are not being fraudulent. Like I, I feel like the general uh, accepted thought is that we're not being fraudulent, which is a yeah. pretty good place to be in. Yeah, yeah, totally. So again, stress less. Yeah, stress less. Uh, Sarah, I yes, uh, put a Facebook post out um, last week, which I uh, I enjoyed um, talking to you about and whatnot. And the question was this, if you work in a field where your profession or your professional registration slash license slash authority requires you to complete professional development, uh, how much do you have to do? What freedom do you have in choosing professional development? And how is your professional development audited slash checked? And uh, I'm going to go through the, um, I've got three answers from three professionals that I'm friends with, uh, because this is going to lead into a chat that we're going to have about OPD for celebrants. So uh, I, I don't know how much you've researched you've done on professional development Lots. from other authorities, yeah. So if you're a registered nurse, you're required to do 20 hours of ongoing professional development per year, self-reporting annually upon registration renewal, uh, but it can be audited at any time. You can choose your own topics to enhance your own professional development and scope of practice. Um, Amy's a vet or a veterinarian. Vet, 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 veterinarian? Yeah. Is that the right word? Vet, yes. Veteran, yeah, something veteran like that. She, she works with animals. She's an animal doctor. Uh, she, um, she has to do 20 uh, professional development points from recognized providers. So there's obviously a list of providers and she has to fulfill 20 points, kind of like you know, 100 points of ID, that kind of uh, vibe. Uh, topics are our own choice, but obviously related to the role you're currently employed in, must be submitted to your employer annually. And my friend Riggs is the uh, nerdiest bloke I know. He's an accountant, he's a CPA. 
and he's going to do 120 hours over three years mm-hmm. with a minimum of 20 per year. Yeah. So I'm guessing it's 120 kind of rolling average. Cause it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so recorded online at the CPA website because CPA, I guess is a, uh, like an add-on authority, like there, it's an industry recognized qualification, not so much a government instituted qualification yep. or, uh, so you record that with a CPA own choice of subject matter, as long as it's relevant, uh, compared to the current state of existence for celebrant OPD, which you must do five hours with a registered OPD provider. Uh, the subjects are approved by the, um, MLCS and then the OPD provider, um, I guess, so. would you describe it as they have a bank of these subjects yep. and then this Friday they might drop these three and yep. then next week they'll drop those three. Yep. Uh, there's often a uh, compulsory, it's generally about two hours, isn't it? Yeah. Like general, like I don't think it's lawfully two hours, but it's generally no, two generally. hours. Yeah. Uh, and so over the course of five hours, you might cover three subjects or four, depending on, yeah, you're like, sometimes there might be a one hour subject and then some might be a two hour. So it all comes into five hours. Um, and the reason we're talking about this is because the marriage law and settlement section of the attorney general's office is seeking feedback from people like Sarah and myself in regards to what the future of OPD looks like. Uh, there's some feelings and some, uh, well, again, there's some gut feelings that I'll get Sarah to explain in a second that, are that we feel like they're trying to minimize the oh, requirement no, we, of uh, that's OPD. Not a, that's not a gut feeling. They've said that. Oh, they've outrightly stated it? They've the outright, they've, no, no, not at the meeting, in the, uh, the paper that came out with the survey. Oh, they okay. said, oh. our plan is to drop OPD to one hour per year, which would be one hour, we, now we don't know what form that will take, but we think it will be one hour of legally focused OPD and it will be done through an online activity through the uh, marriage celebrant portal. So Sarah, answer the question straight up. Uh, why is this proposition not a good idea? Well, it's a, it's a disaster. So I know that we did talk about this in the last episode because we talked about it in terms of why everybody needed to respond to the survey about OPD. So uh, basically, it's just like there's so much more that we do as celebrants that is not just about the legal stuff. But quite frankly, we could do five hours on the legal stuff every year and still not cover everyone's questions. Uh, But there's a lot of other things that go into being a a celebrant as well. And uh, and I think it's important to have professional development on on all of that stuff. Now, MLCS says it's not their job to teach us how to hold a microphone. Uh, I kind of accept that. So, uh, and I accept that you know, the majority of their stuff is about the legal aspects of our role. However, the code of practice does require us to provide a high standard of service to all of our couples. So it kind of is MLCS's job to make sure that we are providing a high standard of service in, uh, in all aspects of our role, not just the legal ones. Uh, but, you know, part of the point of setting up the Celebrant Institute in the first place was because, um, I in particular, and also Josh get questions every single day about uh, the legalities and other aspects of our role. And we know that, uh, and that's even with five hours of OPD per year. If we dropped that, we really would, I, I really think the state of celebrancy would be 
greatly diminished by dropping the amount of OPD per year. So really, you know, where we're kind of going with this is that we have the opportunity to put forward our view by the end of this week um, to MLCS. And I've been thinking about this for a long time and I, and Josh has had some thoughts as well. And I've talked to a lot of other people about what our views should be. Uh, And my personal view uh, and and I think, you know, that Josh and I are pretty much in agreement with this is that there should kind of be a threefold approach to being able to stay registered apart from the fee. You have to pay the fee, but in terms of professional development uh, and quality for celebrants, we see a threefold approach. We agree that one hour minimum on legal aspects provided by NLCS through an online forum if they want. Uh, we agree that everybody should have to do at least one hour on legal aspects. We still think that everyone should also have to do five hours of professional development that is related to celebrancy. But instead of having to do that professional development through an approved training organisation, at the moment there's only four, and through approved topics that MLCS has to approve every single individual topic, we think that celebrants should be uh, viewed as adults and able to make our own decisions about quality professional development options and what it is that they need for their own work and go out and source that themselves. So we think that that celebrants should have to do five hours of general professional development RTOs, associations, BDMs will still be able to offer uh, professional development opportunities, but people could also do things like a first aid course. I did a first aid course this year because it's something I've been managed to do since I became a celebrant. Uh, And it's actually really relevant for our work, particularly as weather gets more extreme and, uh, many of us will be doing we- weddings outside in, you know, 35 plus degree heat. As those things happen, first day training for us is more important every day. So it would be nice if I could go, well, this year I'm going to do first day training and that's going to be my professional development. Or this year I'm going to go to what I really need is some really good information on my um, on how my PA system works and none of the RTOs or associations or BDMs are providing that. So I'm going to go out and source that training myself and that can be accepted as my OPD. So we think that, that five hours and you, you need to be able to show how it's relevant. So when you, when you go and do your registration, when you pay your, your fee, you uh, would have to tick a box saying, yes, I did my professional development. There's also now the, the capacity with the portal to upload our OPD certificates. So that means that everybody would be uploading all of their proof of doing OPD every year and that would be subject to random audits and uh, if you were audited you would have to be able to show that you did your five hours and you'd have to be able to demonstrate how that training that you did was relevant to your celebrancy role. 
And then the third domain is one that is really, really controversial and I'm copying a lot of heat about it, but I'm actually okay with that. And that is that celebrants should need to do a minimum number of ceremonies per year to maintain their registration. I have uh, two, two kind of justifications for this. The first one is that the vast majority of other professions that, well, every other profession that I have looked into their professional development requirements, as well as a requirement to go and do 20 hours, 120 points, whatever of professional development, there's also a requirement to do a minimum number of hours of practice in your profession. So BAS agents, for example, have to do a minimum number of BASs per year to maintain their registration as a BAS agent. Surgeons have to do a minimum number of hours of surgery. Nurses, a minimum number of hours of practice. Teachers, a minimum number of hours in the classroom uh, to maintain their registration. My second justification is that there is a lot of discussion about a cap on celebrant numbers. We've talked about this in the podcast before and why I'm not a fan of it, why we're not supportive of it. But one of the, one of the biggest reasons that people argue for a cap is that they say currently celebrants, the majority of celebrants are not able to do enough weddings a year to maintain their skills and the quality of their practice. So therefore, if we put a cap in place, everybody would be able to do more weddings and that means that their skills would be better. Okay, so if your fundamental argument is that in order to maintain your skill level, you need to do a certain number of weddings per year, let's make that a requirement. You can't have it both ways. You can't say you, you shouldn't have to do any weddings at all to maintain your registration but we should have a cap because you need to do a minimum number to maintain your quality. You can't have it both ways. So this is why we, uh, Josh and I, and several of the other people that I've spoken to, are suggesting a minimum number of ceremonies per year. Because that also meets that, that uh, issue at a, prettier place mm. like in a more achievable place because yeah. if the issue is at the current rate we can't do this the cap is just going to maintain the status quo and like yes Correct. there are there's a number of um deregistrations or resignments each year uh but 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 not to such a great effect that we would all of a sudden you know all of a sudden people would have to choose us because there's no one else left Correct. <laughs> yeah Correct. It's, it's a way more achievable way of, of, of keeping that quality. Uh, and I, you know, putting a cap in place now when we're sitting at 9,000 something celebrants, we're not going to go back to the pre 2003 levels of 2000 celebrants for years. If that was the case and something else that was raised at the meeting that I attended with the associations and LCS um, in October, it was raised by our good friend Anna at the Celebrant Society, was that the last time there was a cap in celebrant numbers in place, there was also a, a cap uh, uh, on what we could charge as celebrants. There was a, uh, not just a recommended fee, there was a, a fee that was set in stone 
and that was all we were allowed to charge. We weren't allowed to charge more because we did more work or less because we did less work. There was a set fee. So if you have a cap on numbers, we might also get a cap on the fee that we can charge. And I wouldn't be happy about that. No, no, it's a, uh, it's an untenable situation to put a cap mm. in, but I, I think a minimum number of ceremonies uh, not only maintains the professionalism and the, the um, excellence in our profession, uh, but it's, it's super achievable. Like uh, I think, I think you and I were talking between the five and 10 mark, um, both of which are super achievable. Mm. And, and if you are incapacitated, ill, uh, in a regional area, whatever your situation is, then I, um, I'll, I'll propose that there would be a similar situation to an exemption from the fee and exemption from OPV. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, that, you, that you can be exempt from the minimum just on, on application, put forward your, uh, your yeah. reasoning. And yeah. Yeah, like, that's, that's a valid thing as well. Of course, absolutely. You know, I live in a remote area. There's only one wedding a year in this area. Okay, fine. You get to only do one a year. That's okay. Uh, but, but for those of us who are, yeah, in, in other areas, put a, put a minimum on it. If you, if, you know, 10, well, I'm, I'm actually thinking 12 because that's average of one a month. Um, 10 ceremonies a year, if you really wanted to, to, make, to continue being a celebrant, 10 ceremonies a year is doable, is achievable. And with not a lot of, uh, of hard graft, really. Um, you know, it might require you doing a bit of networking or a bit of marketing or something. But if you really want to do this, you can do 10 weddings a year. And you know what? If you're only being a celebrant because you want to do one family wedding every three years, maybe you'd be better to buddy up with a legal celebrant, not be registered, but still do the ceremonial aspects and have an authorised celebrant do the legal stuff. Yeah, it's, it's not worth clogging up the system clogging up the MLCS, um, well, the MLCS system, the system of registration, uh, you know, maintaining fees. Uh, and like, obviously, with this, there'll be a maintaining of those records. I'm assuming uh, uh, that they would, the MLCS would probably be in a place where they would have to or would like to request some kind of record from the BDMs, uh, you know, celebrate number and how many marriages they recorded yeah. this year, something like that. Um, and and so don't burden those systems by just having a, a vanity registration because um, you just like it. Like it's, it's, it's not fair on the whole profession. And you'll notice that there's, there's not people just being doctors in case one of their family members, family members falls sick. Or there's, there's not lawyers in case one of their, one of their family members, you know, um, you know Gets drinks and drives. Yeah. Hmm. It's like, this is a real job. This is a real profession. This is a real skill, a real talent. And, uh, and I believe that if you're listening to this and you agree with this, that celebrancy is a real profession, a real job, a real talent, a real skill, and it deserves talented, skilled uh, practitioners, then uh, I would encourage you to, to get behind this campaign. So, so lodge your support to, to send the email, send the letter, and to uh, campaign for just a better celebrancy atmosphere. Um, I just, I'd like to comment on the, the heat I'm getting from some 
quarters on this. Uh, I know that there's been some discussion in some of the other associations that a newer celebrant uh, is suggesting that there should be a minimum number and that this is appalling and blah, blah, blah. But those... Are you, are you still called a newer celebrant? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, when these people have been around for 30 or 40 years, I guess I am. I've only been around for six. So anyway, um, I, but those people are the same people who are arguing for cap. So I just, this is kind of my cognitive dissonance thing that I just, they don't, I don't think they're seeing where I'm coming from. I'm not saying it's not punitive. It's not kind of a, Oh, if you only do nine ceremonies, you know, like it, to me, it's not punitive. It's about if you think that we need to do a minimum number of ceremonies to maintain our schools and quality, put that in place, make that a thing. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with this. And that's why I believe that a minimum number of ceremonies should be part of our kind of registration requirements. That's why we believe. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you on that. So uh, I'm looking forward to putting this submission into the MLCS this week. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Yeah. You're doing good, cool. Sarah. Yay. We're doing good. Um, I think we should talk about uh, this question about ceremony magic. So the question's been asked, uh, I'll just read it verbatim. I've been experimenting with different ways of making the magic happen in my ceremonies. You know, that intangible thing that lifts us out of the mundane and joins everyone in a very special shared moment where it's no longer just another wedding with nice clothes and all the bits and pieces, but something so much bigger and important. I'm a writer at heart. And so for me, the words are an important tool. However, I'm trying to rely less on that and use tone of voice, gestures, body language, movement, etc., to create the mood. I've had a few weddings where a large proportion of the guests don't understand much English, and it's made me so much more aware of the need to do something that is universally understood and shared without the need for words. I'm not looking for rituals here. I guess I'm really interested in speaking and presentation techniques to straight, speak straight to the heart of everyone, regardless of age, intellect, health, race, or cultural background. What has worked for you? So, uh, like I've, I've got a thousand thoughts there, but uh, I hand it over to you first. Like, what's your direct response to that? Oh, my direct response to that is I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. Because this is something I think about a lot. Like, I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this. And I, like, okay, so my initial response to this is that I, that for me, this is not something you can plan. Because for me, this kind of magic, this, this, mo these moments that, uh, that, that speaks straight to the heart of everyone. They, to me, they just happen. And then, and, and I can have two ceremonies that uh, when I write them, they feel very similar to me, but in the moment with the guests and the weather and the environment and everything, they're completely different. And I, yes. yeah. yeah. And, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that this is something uh, that you can plan for, or if it's something, so some, I met with a new couple yesterday and they asked me the question, what was the best ceremony you've ever done? And um, my first sort of thing was, that's a really hard question. But the second thing was I did a ceremony in January this year where everything just worked that we were comfortable inside the chapel. So we weren't too hot. There was enough room for everybody. So nobody was squishy or feeling uncomfortable. Um, the, the 
couple had been really open and generous with me about their story and how they met and their feelings and emotions and blah, blah, blah. So I had a lot of material to work with. Their guests were right with me. Every single moment they were there, they were engaged and interested. They laughed at my off the cuff little moments. They oohed and aahed in the right places. It just, it just worked. And there's not, I, I couldn't tell you that going into that ceremony, I did anything differently to what I do at every other ceremony. But for some reason, on, in that moment in time, it was magic. And I, I don't quite know how to replicate that. I've got some thoughts and I can tell you how to replicate it. Please, yes. So uh, I worked in breakfast radio for a long time and I would uh, often get asked by people coming up in the industry, just tips and thoughts on how to you know, succeed at breakfast radio. And I would always tell them that that tomorrow morning show, when I get on air at 16, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning show being good, that process began, well, like literally months and years ago, but technically it began at 9 a.m. this morning. So tomorrow morning show at 6 a.m. started being good at 9 a.m. this morning because when I got off air, I, I went through the processes I need to go through to kind of wrap up that show, you know, uh, whether it's tidying the studio or whether it's um, preparing yesterday, uh, today's podcast, that kind of thing. And just even wrapping up, you know, any admin things, uh, filling in any forms that need to be filled out, just kind of wrapping up today's show. And then I start looking at tomorrow's show and I start preparing. Uh, I start putting interviews in place. I start calling people with pre-interview questions. I prepare the atmosphere. I'll um, often get on the phone with my co-host and talk through what I'm thinking about for tomorrow morning, get her thoughts, get that feedback in, put it back, uh, put it to the program director, uh, mix those thoughts around, rearrange it so that it works best for the, the schedule that we've got, look at the song log and see if I've got to do any, do any massaging there. Uh, maybe there's a special ad campaign or a promotional campaign and see how I can make that feel more natural. So it's not like uh, it's not added in, but I would just, I would really look at tomorrow's show in depth, you know, 12 odd hours beforehand, uh, uh, you know, 12, 24 hours beforehand and start doing what I can today to prepare the fertile ground. So that when I walk into the studio tomorrow morning, I, I've still got to work, but not work as hard because I've put preparations in place. And the things that I can prepare beforehand I did you know kind of like if you're cooking there's there's prep you can do days or you know hours beforehand and some things have to happen in live in the moment and so uh, I'm a terrible cook um, and so I really appreciate when I'm ready for the recipe like oh cool I could do that bit hours before I start I'm gonna do that so that when I need that part of the recipe I don't have to uh, add too much to my cognitive load uh, so so transferring that process to a wedding uh, to a wedding ceremony, and I appreciate that uh, there's so much background noise going on. So I'm sorry if it's too, I can't. I don't know if it's too loud. Oh, it's fine. Podcast. It's good. It is okay. It's yeah, good. it's okay. It sounds so loud in my ears. I, I feel like since I every time I every time I talk, three motorbikes go by. <laughs> uh, so to, translating that process to a wedding, uh, yes, it's different, but still you can do so much because much like when I walk into the studio to do a radio show. Um, you can only deal with what you've got to deal with. You can only work with you know, the resources that are in your hand. When I walk into a ceremony, I, I like to say that I can only turn up the volume on what's already there, on me, the couple, the crowd. I can't put lipstick on a pig. I can only, t- I can only turn up the volume 
on what's already there. So that's actually where I put a lot of my work and a lot of my effort into preparing the couple and preparing the audience uh, or the crowd, the guests, however you want to label them. But generally, they're not participating. So a technical term is that they're the audience. Yeah. But this, the start is actually with the couple. I, I've got a very, uh, a very different view to preparing a ceremony. I just wrote a blog post about this on the Celebrant Institute in regards to one of Jeff's questions about, about how I prepare a couple to not have to read a script and to be surprised by a ceremony. And the main gist of that is it's not surprise. That's just how it is. According to my couples, <laughs> they, they, they're not surprised by it. Like, cause most people aren't expecting a script. So that's, that's not what I'm really talking about here, but I spend so much time investing in my couples, preparing them for what I'm going to do and also hearing from them what their expectations are. And I, I actually, I, we, I, not only do I cover the ground of expectations, but I recover that many, many times over our meetings because you, you ask once and you never really get the true answer. You probably got to ask five or six times and even highlight a few examples of what I mean by that. Uh, Cause you know, I'll, I'll often communicate to couples that look, the only thing that's required is this. And we talk about the monitor and the legal vows and I'll say anything that's on top of that, expect it not to be at your wedding. I'm not saying it won't be, but when we're talking about your expectations of a wedding and what you would hope I would do and what you think a great wedding looks like, and not only what you think what a great wedding looks like, but what you think your great wedding looks like, expect that none of that's going to turn up unless we talk about it here. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about fathers walking daughters down aisles or not. Let's talk about rings. Like, cause rings don't have any legal basis. That's perfectly fraudulent for a ceremony to occur without a ring, um, without an I do, without readings, without interpretive dances, <laughs> without, in the, you know, any of the things that could be imagined at a wedding. And uh, that's where I put all of my effort, not into writing their story, uh, because I'm of the opinion that if you're at the wedding, you don't know their story. I don't know what you're doing there. So that's, that's a side angle. Uh, but I talk about, uh, well, it's actually, it's not about me talking about, I listen to them talk about what their expectations of a wedding is. And sometimes we'll come to a, like, a, for example, this Saturday's wedding, they're, they're a, you know, what you might call a young, cool couple, which is a bit of a bullshit kind of uh, title, but you know, they're, they're not, they're not old English people, uh, uh, but they want a rather traditional-esque ceremony. And I've really had to navigate that hard to find out what that means, because I hope that anyone listening to this podcast would know that if I said, hey, Sarah, go and make me a traditional wedding. And then if I say nothing else, that doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like it, you, you could, you could make assumptions, but it, there's no traditional wedding.com where you just download the traditional wedding script. Like it, it's not, it's not a set thing. So as much as we're talking about magic happening in the ceremony, it can't happen until you, you really make that fertile ground before the ceremony. So that the couple, when they walk in, they, or like for me at least, they'll be experiencing the ceremony fresh. They'll certainly be prepared to participate in a certain kind of ceremony. And when you're in that place, you're a lot more comfortable. Uh, you know, I used to talk um, when I did retail uh, consulting, uh, to retail store consulting, that as much as your store is a brand new store, 
you want it to feel comfortable enough that people can just at least walk in. Because once they're, once they're in the front door, then, you know, they can then start engaging with the product. But so many retail stores, like how many stores do you walk past where you just, you don't even walk in because you're like, ah, it's not my kind of store. And you don't even know that, but you just get a vibe that it's not yours. It's not a store that a Sarah would walk into. So as much as my couple don't really know what's in the ceremony, they're very comfortable walking into it because they trust me completely and they trust the process that I'm undertaking. And we've talked about expectations. So that's the couple. But with the crowd, that's even harder because you've got seconds with them before the ceremony. And I even had a wedding the other day where for some, and I still don't actually know why, but we started half an hour early. Uh, oh my God. Just, I know. We're, like, thank God we're all just standing there. That never but happens. I, I look up and there's a bridesmaid walking like, what the fuck are you doing? Wow. <laughs> like, where did you come from? So I, uh, I, I luckily I, I, I kind of gathered everyone together and, um, and I did, this was a little bit hard, but it actually worked really well. I did my housekeeping, which I'm about to talk about. I actually did it as the opener to the ceremony, which is definitely not my plan, but I considered it important enough that I still had to say it mm-hmm. Be- because, because I have to prepare the crowd to be in a place where they can be awesome. So that when I turn up the volume on them, we're hearing awesome as opposed to hearing a bunch of weird, awkward weirdos so i um like the, the preparation for a crowd it's different for every crowd but there's a few things that i really like to belt out and the first one seems really obvious to to us celebrants but i think most people need to hear it that they don't know what kind of wedding they're walking into um like yes we're not in a catholic church so maybe you can make an assumption it's not that kind of wedding but most people haven't and so i like to tell them that like, guys this is the kind of wedding where uh, this is a fun wedding. I said, I know, I know you might be expecting something else, but this is one of those fun weddings where we, we clap and we cheer and we laugh. And I said, and, and look, and this is even like, this is not even like when I tell a joke to my wife and you, everyone is silent. I said, when I tell a joke, you guys are going to laugh. And I even, and, and I'll say, so if I say, if I say a really funny joke, you guys go, and then they all do a forced laugh because they kind of get that cadence. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Please give me a fake laugh if I give a bad joke. Um, but if something awesome happens, clap. Like, don't, be, don't wait for permission to clap. Just pretend you're at a football match. Because when you're at a football match and, they, and your team try, makes a try, you don't wait for permission to clap. You just go off. And I want you to be in that place. So if something awesome happens, be awesome. If something sad happens, go, oh, something, something fun happens, laugh. Just, just be present with us. That's all I'm asking is that you guys would lean into the ceremony. You'd be with us so that you're on the journey with us. It's not a show that we're giving to you, but so it's a celebration we're all involved in. I'll, um, I'll then go on to say, and it's really super hard to that when you're trying to choose an Instagram filter. So can I ask that all of you guys will put your phones away? And depending on the level of communication I've had from the couple and, and photographer and whatnot, uh, I'll, like if it's really important, like if the couple's really made a point, I would say, please put your phones away otherwise I'll shoot you. But generally most, most couples don't really give me an explicit communication on phones and social media these days. Um, but I'll still say, uh, look, it's just really hard for you to be present when you're on your phone. I said, we've, we've literally, we've got Sarah here. She's taking photos. So you don't have to. And I, I'll say, look, I'm not your mum, So I'm not going to tell you what to, what to do or not, what not to do, but it'd just be super awkward if you had your phone out in the ceremony. Cause we just know that you're not here. Cause if we're at coffee, having, having a coffee, and you're on your phone, I know that you're not with me. 
So it'd just be awesome if you guys left your phones away during the ceremony. That's why. Not because I don't care about your photos. It's just been nice for you to be with us. And finally, uh, I said, I feel like you guys already know this, but I'm just going to reiterate it. When people walk down the aisle, will you guys just go wild and make a round of applause? And then at the end of the ceremony, when I pronounce some husband and wife or whatever it might be, um, can you guys just go crazy? Like, yeah. And I'll, and I'll, depending on my vibe in the crowd, like if I think they'll do it, like if they're already kind of vibey, then I wouldn't get them to do a test because it's a bit awkward. But if they're, if they're a crowd that hasn't totally captured that spirit yet, I'll often say to them, uh, I said, look, I just want to do, do a test clap just to make sure everything's working. I want to make sure all the systems are working. I'll say, look, if you've got like a level zero clap is like silence and level 10 clap is like crazy, like football clap. Can we do a level one? And so like Evan does a little level one clap, which is, oh, well, that's cute. Okay, cool. Level three, like a little bit more, right? Level seven, I'll do a bit more. And because it gives people a scale, like it gives them an opportunity to kind of find their place in that, as opposed to just kind of coming straight up for a 10. Because um, like, I don't want to, I don't want everyone to be having forced fun. Like, I don't want to be telling everyone what to do. Like, oh, the celebrant said I've got to clap, but if I don't, you'll yell at me. Like, it's not that. It's just, uh, I, I just want it to be meaningful and personal. But I just want them to know that this is a place where we can be present. Because when the crowd is present, like the crowd you were talking about earlier, and the crowd, they're vibing and they're clapping and they're cheering, and they're hanging on every word. And when the couple are there and they're on the same vibe, then you just being the normal, awesome you that you are, with the knowledge that you've attained from the couple on what they expect and what they don't want, what they do want and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, you're like, that's the process that each one of us attacks differently, but you, you've got your, uh, whether it's script or notes or your, your, you know, the sandwich you're going to dish out when you're in that position where everyone else around you is awesome and you're supported by a great PA, uh, public address system, uh, you know, you've got a good microphone. Um, I feel like people that maybe aren't, uh, confident or overly confident public speakers might not like this. I like this. I want the microphone loud. I need to hear my voice because that, that, that gives me a feedback loop to my ears that everything is okay, that everyone's going to hear me. Um, so you, you got a good crowd, good couple, good PA, good microphone. It's loud. Like when I say loud, I don't mean overbearingly loud, but I just mean present. Um, when all of that's happening, then I'm guaranteed to win which is my philosophy for business and celebrancy and everything that I only walk into arenas where I know I'm going to win. I don't walk into the arena hoping I'll win, thinking I'll win. Like I reckon this could be a win. It's a fitty fitty. Like no, I walk in knowing I'm going to win. And if I don't know I'm going to win, I don't walk in there. And that's, that's my kind of, that's what, that's my prep for making a ceremony magic and special is that well-fertilized ground that I know I can walk into and be an awesome Josh. Okay. So what if you do all of those things that you normally do and they just don't want to come on that journey with you? Oh, I shoot them. I just, I, I literally get a gun and I just, it's, it's so, yeah, so I, my, just, I just kill them. My, I had a ceremony a few years ago and half the audience were Chinese and they, the couple had made the decision not to have an interpreter for the entire ceremony, but it meant that a lot of them didn't speak a lot of English. And it, they were, and also, um, I know that culturally for some Asian countries showing, like expressing emotion 
the laughing and the crying and so forth is not really a thing they do in public. That was a tough crowd. And I did all of my, I had a couple who were generous with their information. I did all my normal warm up stuff and they just, I just couldn't get them to come with me. They, now I don't, I, the couple were happy at the end of it and they certainly weren't saying that was a terrible ceremony. What were you doing? Uh, but I wasn't getting that kind of feedback loop that told me this is right. They're engaged. You're on the right track. Keep going with it. That's the, I think that's the thing I find. And I, now there's a siren. That's good. <laughs> so I think that's a little bit what, um, what this question is talking about as well is, yeah, that's valid is, you know, what, what do you do when you've got an audience who doesn't necessarily speak the same language, doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily culturally appropriate for them to do all of those whooping and cheering and laughing and crying things. Uh, how, what can we do to still create magic in those moments? Um, but it might be a different kind of magic. Uh, but what can we do to make sure that those audiences still walk away having feeling that, they've connected. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a really, really good topic on this topic. And I, I suppose just to, to answer to the whooping, clapping, cheering, uh, I don't think that's as important as the preparation of the fertile ground. Uh, Cause I certainly know, like there was literally, there was a topic in a Facebook group I'm in the wedding photo hangover where the one photographer goes, Everyone clapped as the bride went down the aisle. It was really awkward. Does that happen to everyone else's weddings? And I'm like, yeah, bitch, every wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so obviously clapping and cheering isn't a universal requirement of a good wedding. Mm. Uh, and so my, my, my forever encouragement there would be for you as a celebrant to find your you and what you do best and, and translate that element to what I just said. Um, mm. And so prepare the fertile ground for you to do that. Uh, so, so yeah, like, like, like know, know what you consider an awesome ceremony that you could do and then find the, find the, the, the link between preparation and delivering that. Uh, and, and so like one thing I've thought of, uh, if you ever talk to a standup comic, they'll talk about room dynamics and, and it's actually not, it's, it's not a solid rule, but every comedian has a different dynamic they'd like in the room. And that's, how close or how far away they are from an audience. Uh, have you ever been to like a legit stand-up comedy club? Like a, like no. a, no. so I, if you go to like a legit, like a proper, like a famous or a, you know, mm. a well-regarded one, uh, the crowd can talk, can touch the comedian's feet. Yeah. Cause, cause they, they don't want to be meters away from a stage. No. Uh, you know, and I don't know if you've done a wedding like that. I've, I've done maybe two or three weddings in my career where I've been, up on a literal stage with a couple, mm. like like a like a theatre, not a theatre, but like a theatre stage, mm. and the crowd are far away. Like I couldn't throw a pebble at them, mm. and I hated that because that just that room dynamic sucks. So so definitely consider that in your planning for that fertile ground that you would um not only consider what you need from the audience, but also how you believe you can focus best on that. Uh, and also coming back to me, I. I don't think, well, God, I hope not, that I would not be hired for a wedding where the couple in the crowd weren't that laughy, happy, 
you know, uh, clappy, cheery kind of crowd. They're like, they just wouldn't hire me. And well, but-, but I kind of think that those things can be affected with the environment and weather and stuff too. Like that, Yeah, yeah. you know, you, you might get hired for like a crowd that might very happily in 18 degree weather that was quite comfortable have sat there and clapped and cheered and, you know, suddenly it's 40 degrees and there's no shade and they're all melting and yeah. now but once they're again, that not. Comes back to room dynamics. So, because so, room dynamics takes into account the weather and like I, so yeah. I did this on Saturday. I literally changed the complete location of the ceremony. Now, given there was no chairs and arbor, um, it was maybe 15 guests, but That's I easier. walked into this courtyard. So there's no flipping way. The ceremony can happen there. It's in full sun. It was like 40 degrees. Yeah. And the venue staff were really unhappy that I moved the ceremony to this ceremony to the other end of the courtyard. But I'm like, 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 I know you guys are setting up for an entire night, but the ceremony is really where we can set the vibe for the whole day. And that vibe is going to suck if we are all standing in the direct sun. It's like, it's like if we we're under a microscope with the sun, it was just hell. Uh, so, so take some responsibility and look at the, yeah, you can only take so much responsibility and you can't mm-hmm. move a chapel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but take as much responsibility as you can. And this also comes into the preparation. And you know what? This is, this is an argument for attending a rehearsal. Like, I know I'm anti-rehearsal, but uh, <laughs> like, like, what an opportunity to go, oh, is the ceremony going to be here at this time tomorrow? Um, look at this. We're all yeah. dying or whatever it might be. So there's that aspect. Uh, but, but coming back to that, that uh I suppose I wanted to address communication style. Uh, I saw Rowan Atkinson talking about Mr. Bean once on, uh, who's that late night UK um, show? Uh, uh, a good yeah, late night guy. show in the UK. That guy. Yeah. That guy. Uh, yeah. He was, uh, Rowan Atkinson was, was on there and they were talking about, you know, would he do another Mr. Bean? And, and he was talking about how he think Mr. Bean had a really good run and, and every, he was really proud of everything he'd done. And he was basically kind of saying, look, I don't think, I don't think there'll be any more Mr. Bean. But he, he alluded to one of the most powerful uh, elements of Mr. Bean is that there was no talking. There was no English dialogue. Mm-hmm. Well, no, there was no dialogue per se. Well, there, mm. there wasn't a dialogue, to put that succinctly. Uh, and so the show translated so beautifully to so many cultures. There were some cultures where it didn't work, just you know, for cultural reasons or just for communication and cultural and comic, comic reasons. But the, 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 the Mr. Bean production translated to so many cultures because it was without dialogue. Now, that's not a vote against dialogue. In fact, it would be fairly hard to have a ceremony without dialogue. <laughs> and um, and it, it would be an interesting conversation. Just, I don't know, like, not, we, we can't cover it now. I think the podcast has gone far too long already. <laughs> but could you imagine... I wonder what a ceremony looks like without dialogue, legally speaking. Do we write the monotone or do we just look at it and sign it and say, yes, I read it or Mm, any funny side. Uh, But if you take away the dialogue for a moment, like the question asked, uh, asked, uh, you know, words are important to her, but the words aren't everything. Your manners are mannerism, your face, your uh, position, what you're wearing. Uh, you know, Glenn covered this to, to much disgrace of so many listeners. Yeah. But you know, like, like just your, your presentation to the crowd, your position to the crowd, your position to the couple. And, and then if you take into account what you say also creates an opportunity for the couple to react a certain way or for other crowd members to talk, to look and to feel and to, uh, 
react in different ways. And that certainly adds to that magic. Like there are, there are funny things that can be said that you don't even understand English, but you know, it's funny. Like Luna can't speak English just yet, but she knows when we're telling a joke and <laughs> she laughs and she gets in on the action. So I, I feel like I haven't spoken succinctly to all of that because it, it's a really hard question to answer on a broad scope, but this is, this is why I don't lean on a script, but I lean heavily on an experience and a feel because words aren't everything. They hold great value, but your words create a feeling, your words create a vibe. And it's not just the words on a script, it's the words delivered. Uh, you know, this is uh, one of my calls for a couple not reading a script to check it because a couple don't know what a good script looks like. Uh, you know, and I think the example I gave in the article was that if, um, if you give me and Tom Cruise the script for the next Mission Impossible, I'll look at it and I can't translate that script into a movie. Tom Cruise reads it and goes, oh, this would be great because he can imagine the helicopter sequence and the you know, panning of the camera and blah, blah, blah. Because reading a script uh, is a real skill. That, that's what makes an actor. So, you know, I, I hope if you took anything away from this that it would just be to, to really look a little bit more at the other than words content that you provide as a celebrant. And it might just be, you know, setting up a video camera and watching a video back of yourself so that you can see how you look. And, and you, know, you know what that's done for me? Mm. I just, I try to genuinely smile more in a ceremony. I was about to talk about smiling. I was literally just about to talk about facial expression because I think facial expression is super important and it's something that we often don't think about enough. I think a lot about when I'm, cause I'm not good at small talk. It's just not my forte. And I don't chat to people. If people come up to me before the ceremony, I'm very happy to chat to them, but I won't approach guests and have a chat. But so I'm often standing around doing nothing and I try not to be looking on my phone or anything like that. Um, and I, I think a lot about my face and about how do I look in this moment? Do I look like I'm bored? Do I look like I'm angry? Do I look like, oh, I'm impatient, let's get on with this. I really think a lot about softening my features and about just not having like a resting bitch face. Yeah, um, 100%. Yep. And I think so, but I think that's just as important in ceremony as well. And that we think about like if we are reading from a script, are we furrowing our brow to read? Are we you know, is the text too small? So we need to squint a bit. Like what is going on on our face uh, while we're delivering that? Are we, do we have a face that is full of warmth and joy and, and happiness for this moment? Um, because that will encourage the rest of the audience to feel warmth and joy and happiness as well. And even, yeah. even at funerals, it's okay to deliver with a smile on your face because, you know, someone's got to, <laughs> well, but funerals aren't all just doom and gloom. You know, you might be telling a story of a person who, who had a lot of fun and had an incredible life and it's okay to smile and to soften your face and to not look, you, you I don't think we need to feel like we need to look somber or look sad or, uh, and so I think that we, 
I think that it's really important. I think videoing ourselves is, is really good for that. What is your face doing? You know, think about, because a lot of the stuff that's in this question about presentation techniques and speaking to bring everybody along with you, even when they don't understand the language, your face will do a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. You also mentioned uh, faces you make reading a script, but also uh, I remember when I was in Married at First Sight, I, because uh, I wasn't a script to read it in, but they wanted me to read a script. Mm. So I had to, had to read a script. And my default script reading position was that the script was out, was low and not as visible because I thought, oh, that's good for TV. You know, mm-hmm. you, don't want the, you don't want the script up, you know, up high. But then my face was facing down towards the script. Yeah. So my vocal cords were not as, uh, were, were compressed mm-hmm. and I was looking down. So visually not as nice. And also my voice, not as nice. Mm. I lift the script up. So it's a little bit uh, higher and then you can do this. Like if you've, well, if you've got a PA system, I'm sure everyone does, uh, like start counting or start reading where you, where you got your chin to your chest and then start moving your head upwards and hear the sound of your voice change. Mm. And then also watch a video camera of that. And, and so think about how you're positioned when you're reading the script, because, because all of that adds to that feeling because when you're speaking, the crowd's listening and they're mm. vibing off you. And if you're having a good day, they're having a good day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that for this, cause I know this person who asked this question is a relatively new celebrant, um, kind of only been around for a year or two. And I think that a lot of this comes with practice. It just comes with being in the space and trying you know, trying new things and remembering to think about your, like there's so many things we have to think about, but remembering to think about your face and remembering to think about how you stand, you know, like it's important. I often look at my students who sometimes they sway a bit and I go, don't sway. Like you, you look like you're, you're not sure. Or they've got like all of their weight slumped on one hip and then they just look like they're kind of bored and they're resting on their hip and they, like stand up straight and tall and that will help with your voice, but it will also help you to look engaged and it will help and interested and it will help the guests to come on that journey with you as well. I hate the word journey, but you know what I mean? Um, So I think that all of those, like it's, it is such a lot to think about, but we really do need to be cognizant of all of those, all of those bits and pieces, be open and warm and, friendly and happy and it will make a huge difference because that's literally our job yeah totally (laughs) sarah it's always good to have a chat with you Uh, i hope everyone has enjoyed some of the few seconds we've had here and if you have enjoyed it uh yeah i I feel like we ask this every now and then i'm just going to really hammer it down if you've gotten this far on the podcast you obviously don't hate us uh, throw a review up on whatever podcast app you're using. If there's a review there, click the review, click the stars or the star or the like or the share. Just the things that are positive, that algorithmically positively make the podcast be heard by more people. It'd be, just be nice if more people knew about it. Uh, and if you listen to this and you're not a Celebrate Institute member, then we do have a paid membership program where you can ask questions, uh, read the blog. Um, and honestly, it's, we're actually doing some really good stuff there. If you are not a Celebrant yet and you would like to be, or if you know someone that wants to be, uh, we also deliver the search for and Celebrancy. You can find out about all of these things at celebrant.institute. That's the whole website domain name. And if you want to listen to back episodes of this, you can go to celebrant.fm 
Finally, uh, if you've got feedback or questions, you can email us at that same domain name. Hello at celebrant.fm. Sarah, thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much.